This is Taylor Talk, the number one Taylor Swift podcast brought to you by TaylorTalk.org. What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 195 of Taylor Talk, the Taylor Swift podcast. My name is Adam. I'm Diane. And I'm Steve. How you doing, guys? Good. Excellent. Good. Good to hear. Got lots going on in the Taylor world. May as well talk about it, right? As always. So what we do around here, around her. Um, first, let's check out what's been going on in the news lately. Taylor has been nominated for not one, two, three, four, five, but six American Music Awards, including Artist of the Year, Song of the Year for Blank Space, Favorite Female Artist in Pop Rock, Favorite Album in Pop Rock, Collaboration of the Year with Kendrick Lamar for Bad Blood, and Favorite Artist in Adult Contemporary. Mm. Thought that one was an interesting one. I'm not really sure what adult, adult contemporary, contemporary is, but she's nominated in adult contemporary. Anyway, if you're here in the U.S., you can vote at ama.votenow.tv. And since we're talking about the AMAs, I also want to give a shout out to our special guest interview from episode 178, Kelsey Ballerini, because she is also nominated for an award in the favorite female country artist category. So vote for her too, as long Very as you're voting. Very cool. Nice. Um, Steve, do you know when the Grammy stuff is going to come out for this year? Like the actual awards or yeah, like yeah. No- nominations yeah, I mean, or what? Yeah. Mm. Not off the top of my head. I thought you would know that. Steve nah. knows everything. Steve's not a Grammy award winning artist yet. Yeah, but he's always up on up on the news. The music news. Mm-hmm. The general music news outside of our little Taylor bubble. They'll be announced on December 7th. Aha! December seventh. So we've got a day like, that will live in infamy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. History. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling that from the uh, the Billboard website. So. Okay. Cool. Well, it'll Pro- be props to them to for having then. the information there. And if the information is wrong, it's not blame them. Blame it on the <laughs> Billboard people. It shouldn't be wrong. <laughs> All right, guys. Also in the news, the 1989 tour has been super busy with even more special guests, including Ellie Goulding in Arlington, Texas, Miranda Lambert in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but Tovlo. Yep. Who's Tovlo, Steve? Tovlo, well, Atlanta, Georgia. No, well, I might. What's the song? Uh, Sing it. There's a couple of good ones that she has. What was it? Uh, Bad Habits, I think. Don't know. Oh, it. maybe. Are... Let me think here. Hold on. Maybe I know this. Habits. Don't know it. It's, it's habits. That's the one you know about the. I don't know. It's kind of like is a little it, crazy is it kind of about, sort of song. Is it? Is it about the drugs and the alcohol? Is it that one? Yeah. Yeah. About okay, e- eating dinner in your bathtub. <laughs> That's probably yeah, one of the okay. crazier lyrics. From Got it. it. Got it. Yeah. Eating dinner in a bathtub sounds fun. Yeah, it's a good song. You gotta listen to it. It sounds convenient. <laughs> and you don't have to get up. <laughs> I think eating dinner in bed's probably more convenient, but yes. if depending you want to eat in the bathtub, by all means. Depending on where you are and depending on what you need to do. <laughs> I don't know if eating in the bathtub sounds sanitary. You're soaking in a this tub of dirty silly. water. Yeah, um... um and that's why I actually was thinking it was bad habits because I think that would be a bad habit to uh, eat dinner in your bathtub. But yeah, the song's habits. The other one that you guys are probably familiar with is Talking Body. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's a good I, one. I hear that on the radio all the time. 
I won't comment. You don't know it either, do you? No, uh, actually, actually, that that's the song that they perform. So, okay, I'm glad it wasn't bad habits. <laughs> you mean habit or habits or ha- habits? It doesn't matter. Let's habits. Keep going. It's habits. All right, guys. So for our main discussion today. Um, we're going to be talking about the GQ article we were mentioning last week, or last episode, rather. Last episode, you remember, the new photo shoot had just come out. They had announced that the article would be out in the next several days, but we didn't quite have it as of the last episode. But we do have it now, and there's a lot of great information in there. It's a very long article. I actually printed it out for myself so I could kind of note some things, and it came out to 13 pages it's long. It's a monster of an article. Ooh. But it's really good, though. It's and really well written. I must written. say, yeah, it, it is uh, written very well. Very inspiring. The author uses lots of big words. Yes. <laughs> lots of punchy and important words that have a punchy lot of Punchy and important words, right? Yeah. Okay. So how it usually goes with these insightful article discussions is we break it down into kind of different categories, different sections that are talked about throughout, which is quite a challenge with this one because this one wasn't actually broken up by headlines like a lot of the other articles do it was more just one giant article ongoing but we did it for you and right from the beginning it provides additional insight into the wildest dreams music video which i thought was really fascinating because you guys remember when we've had our discussion on both wildest dreams as a song and then the video once it had come out um we always discuss our interpretations of it based on, you know, the various evidence provided in the video, the video footage, and the, you know, in the song, the lyrics. But in this case, Taylor actually kind of told us a little bit about the inspiration for the video. And she said specifically, I wanted this video to be about the making of a 1950s movie being filmed on location in Africa. Now, that part was kind of, well, obvious. Um, But she discussed the premise for the video, and that was that it would be impossible for actors not to fall in love if they were isolated together in Africa. Now, did you guys get that out of the video? Um, not really, because, I mean, at least what I thought from the video, especially at the end, is, um, at the very end of the video, when they're in front of this, like, this, like, painted scene of, um, of, um, Africa, so I thought... They weren't actually on location that they were just in some sort of like back lot. Some sort of wild dream. Yeah. And it was just her pretending that they had this fantastic adventure when they didn't. That's what I thought, too. I thought it was more of a fantasy video Mm -hmm. rather than an actual like love story. Hmm. Um, It was a very one sided love story. But but it, it wasn't. Though, Um, based on her comments, we see we thought it was a one sided love story we thought it was like the female character having a a crush for lack of a better word on the male character when we first did our analysis Mm -hmm. um but now going forward after taylor providing this this additional insight it seems more like it was an actual actually you know what it seemed like now now that i'm thinking about it it seems like an affair oh i think it was an affair because um Steve, oh. you mentioned back on that episode you felt it had an Ava Gardner feel, didn't you? Yes. And you were completely spot on because Taylor did mention that she came up with the concept after reading Ava Gardner's book, The Secret Conversations, which was essentially a memoir 
uh, that was published after her death. I, I looked this up. I, I'm not mm-hmm. that knowledgeable. Um, it was a memoir published after her death because it was too revealing to publish while she was still alive. And it detailed her relationships and affairs that she had as a celebrity back in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So that would exp- that explains a lot, Adam. How come no one has thought of this? Because that would explain because we the just ending. read the article and Taylor finally just told us. That's why. <laughs> no, but she didn't. Say, she didn't. I don't know. But that would explain the 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 ending when the guy runs out after her. Because if he didn't actually love her too, then why would he care if she just left the building? He did, but he was there with his his wife or fiance or, or so. She was wearing a ring, I think. I know she was wearing jewelry. Well, she was I definitely all over him as claiming um, him as hers. Right. At the premiere at the end of the video, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was an affair. She comes home. They come home from Africa. She realizes that he actually has a lady. She's heartbroken because she's like, oh, I was just the affair. I was just the mistress. But then he chases after her car. She never even realizes that he does. Not from the video that i can tell but that proves that he actually loved her as the mistress i don't like that story i like the other one we came up on before about it being just pretend (laughs) about it being a fantasy yeah i like that one better whatever who cares well here's the here's the question though because we're always talking about the songs and song lyrics and things does this additional insight, knowing what that video was about, change your interpretation or your appreciation for the song itself in any way? Or just change your meaning or your understanding of it? Well, I guess in in the song, when Taylor talks about, you know, this love that they have or whatever, she knows that it's going to be over. So I guess maybe if she knew it was just an in affair then she would know that like eventually it would have to end like it's not like they would be together in the end that this guy would eventually go back to his wife or, or whatever maybe perhaps steve you're awfully quiet over there no, I, i'm contemplating i'm thinking i'm trying to put this all together but you know you would have to think though when you're on site in africa there you have so much going on around you that you almost can't think to back to how things are going to be when you you know, the movie's over and everything else like that. You're thinking in the here and now and everything else that's going on with it. So. Right, because it's a completely different world. Right. It's not something that you're used to. Why didn't his wife go with him to Africa? Well, part of what this article here says in GQ um, is something about, like, you're back in the 50s, whatever, you'd be disconnected from the world. There was no social media or anything like that. Um, so you'd be isolated was the word that they used. Because there would be no one else to talk to. Yeah, no one else is there. Except all the people that are on set for the film. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Let's yeah, but they're big They're big stars. Stuff. They don't mingle with the little people. Right, they go to their trailers and that's it. And sit alone and stare at themselves in the mirror. And do nasty things with each other. Adam. <laughs> it's in the video. What do you was, mean? Nothing's in the video. It absolutely is. They're sleeping. No. Did you watch that video? Do you watch the same video I watched? I was blinking a lot. Mm. I see. Um, (laughs) I see then. But either way, this article did provide that additional insight into Wildest Dreams, and I I just thought it was fascinating to kind of get your your opinions on it, even though... um, I'm glad she did mention the book specifically, because I know that when we talked about the music video... She did mention the book. Right. And, you know, when we mentioned it 
after seeing the video, that was one of the things that I brought up was she had read that book. That was last yeah. September, I think. There was tweets going around like she like just that, arrived yeah. on the airplane, I think, in London, and she was holding the book in her hand. So that even kind of gives you a time frame of when she was at least oh. contemplating that. So, Well, it just says she came up with the concept after reading the book. That doesn't necessarily mean immediately after. Right. But, no, um, but that at least. <laughs> after she, a long time. Right. She, she was reading the book early September 2014. Okay. Fair enough, Steve. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. We can always count on Steve for the facts. <laughs> I wonder how many people now are going to go out and buy this book. It's available on Amazon. It's about to become it? a bestseller again. It is. It, it's it's on Amazon. You better go get a copy before they run out because I'm Either not sure they're they going to be expecting the, the Yeah, I'm not sure they're going to expect the demand. <laughs> Probably not. But I guess my last thought on this particular um, part of the article is what – does it do to the meaning like what is a wildish dream now love that you can never have like is it a forbidden love is that what th- we what we come to so. now so i think so okay for, one, for some way or the other we'll leave that thought with you guys as we move on in the article um there's another section shortly thereafter that kind of touches on if Taylor were not in the music industry, and she said, I would have gone to college, and I would probably be involved with a form of business where words and ideas are at the forefront, such as marketing. I found that to be an interesting statement, because Taylor is in marketing. She markets herself in every single thing she does, all the time, all day, every day. Maybe that's her favorite part, or one of her... I don't know. It's just something she's passionate about. I mean, she's really good at it, obviously, or else she wouldn't be where she is today. Well, of course she's good at it, and that's the point I'm getting at is is, um, that perhaps her use of words is why she is so popular, is her her gift with words that I clearly don't have, especially right now. (laughs) Did you notice that before this point, the author mentions that they talk about Ryan um, Adams? Did you notice that? Yeah, because we they also a did a video about um, Ryan Adams and a little bit about books, and then he doesn't ever say anything about Ryan Adams. It's just his name is just thrown in there. No name well, dropping. Probably. Doesn't clarify who he is, why he's important, what the deal is. His name is just in there. Well, I think this it's because the article worked in conjunction with a video that GQ put together with Ryan Adams interviewing Taylor. Right. Which is very good. You guys, if you've not seen that, you need to check that out. I watched it, but I forgot what happened in it, which is why I can't really speak to it right now. I mean, maybe they just threw it in to promote his version of 1989, which I did hear at the grocery store the other day. Well, well, one of the things that I did get out of that little back and forth between Taylor and uh, Ryan was, Uh um, remember uh, the real high-pitched stay that that people loved when we tried to do our version of it there? That, there, that is disgusting. All you had there. to do was, and, stay! and T- Taylor actually explains everything about that stay and like why it sounds like it is, and you know it, what it is is it's when she goes to talk that instead of you know whatever saying you know you should leave or whatever, it comes out and says stay. You know, real high. Oh, pitch wasn't like that, that because she had a dream? And that was all she could say. Right, yeah. Like, yeah, it was yeah. the only th- words that would come out of her mouth there. And um, 
you know, so that's obviously, and, and when we did the song analysis of that, we knew that that was a very important part of the song. Well, when Ryan did his interpretation of it, he didn't even attempt that stay. So, you know, his version has a very different feel to it because the things that were important to Taylor in her version of the song may not be the same thing that Ryan thought was important when he did his version of the song. So, Or he was like, I'm not going to hit that note. Yeah, it's I'm not going to hit that happen. note. Or, you know, he well, didn't replace too. it with anything. <laughs> yeah. To him, it was insignificant enough that he didn't need it in the song. But yet, that's a very critical part of Taylor's version of it. Mm-hmm. Well, interpretations vary, which is why, you know, Steve, when we're doing our song analyses right here on the show, um, we try and interpret it from our own perspectives, the perspectives as a reader of the lyrics and listener of the song mm-hmm. as opposed to what was Taylor doing here? Cause we'll never know the answer to that unless she tells us. Right. But, right. but a lot of times we do try to put ourselves in Taylor's shoes and kind of see what she's trying to see through it. And, and sometimes we've been kind of spot on with some of the stuff. So, and sometimes way, way <laughs> off. <laughs> We're not going to count those times. Right. They're All few right. and far so, between. One of the most powerful lines that the author wrote in this article, what's his name, by the way? Like Chuck something or other? Um, He's a long last name. His name is Chuck Klosterman. Klosterman. Chuck Klosterman. Chuck Klosterman. Um, One of the most powerful lines he wrote was a paragraph that started, if you don't take Swift seriously, you don't take contemporary music seriously. And I thought that was like a really powerful line because it really – puts into words how influential she's become because he cited something interesting, which I don't know if this could ever possibly be verified or confirmed, but he basically said if a record as dominant as 1989 had existed in 1989, it would have surpassed the sales of Thriller. How did he figure that? Thriller is the best-selling album of all time, um, as far as I know. I think it is. Is that right, Steve? It's definitely up there, if not the top. I'm pretty sure. Um, But when I was looking on the RIAA website, who certifies gold and platinum, I was looking, and Thriller actually took about a month and a half to go platinum, which 1989, Red, and Speak Now all did in a week. Um, So I thought that was interesting. However... In overall sales, Thriller went on to go 29 times platinum. Well, it's also had a little bit more time than 1989. Yeah, but I anticipated you saying that, which is why I looked into more stats on it. Oh, good job. Um, I did that. So although it got certified 29 times platinum in 2009, um, the album came out in 82, 1982. 1984 is when it got certified 20 times platinum. So it took two years for those first 20 million albums to sell and then the subsequent 30 years for, you know, the um, other 9 million. Okay. So, I mean, Taylor has yet to have anything sell that big overall. You know, where an album like Red has had the opportunity. How many times has 1989 gone platinum? Oh, Steve, Steve. do you know? It's around five or six, I think. Four, five, six, somewhere in that Seven range. times platinum, I don't know. We have all these good questions that I feel that we should have researched so we could sound like we know exactly what we're talking about. Well, the problem is, is We don't know we what just, to research because we don't know what's going to come up in conversation. Just, we just sort of have these words flow out and then we're like, oh, I wonder if... Uh, it, this is a very honest conversation, yeah. listeners. 
we're, we're seeing too. here. So June 2015, it went five times platinum. That's the most recent certification. Yeah, that's, hey, that's, that's good. That's good. So, but, yeah, I mean, five times platinum in a little bit less than a year. But um, you said Thriller went 20 times platinum in two years? 20 times platinum in two years. However, you have to consider the fact that that was in an age where all albums, all big albums went platinum and sold a lot because people were actually buying albums back then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then um, maybe he's arguing that. That's well. That's exactly what he's arguing, and that's why I'm saying okay. I don't know if you could ever prove or verify this. It's like one of those comments when you're like, "Oh, adjusted for inflation, the Rockefellers would be worth three hundred billion dollars today." Yeah. And it's like, well, they're not a you know a whatever today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but 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 at least saying to the the speed of getting to that number of five million, I think is important um, because it's the first album in ten years to get to five million. In that short period of time, the last one to do that was in 2004 with uh, Usher's Confessionals, mm. or Usher's Confessions, I guess mm. it is. So it, it took 19 weeks to hit five million. Taylor took 36 weeks to make five million. So, how about that? That's pretty good. That is a cool stat to know. But either way, because. We obviously love words here on this show. That's why we do all our song analyses. I just thought that was really cool the way he took all these stats that we've discussed and all these impressive feats that 1989 has accomplished and put it into one very powerful, impactful sentence. That kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier before we even started the discussion about how well Yeah, but he didn't really explain it. He made us do the work to explain it. No, 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 no. He did explain it with his comment about a record as dominant as 1989 would surpass Thriller. Okay, okay. No, he he absolutely did. He Mm -hmm. did. But it was just something I wanted to point out. I thought that was really neat. Um, Any other thoughts on that? It's probably no. good. No. The thing is, though, right. what if you don't take, uh, you know, contemporary music seriously? That would be the only thing. Well, then you're not. You probably wouldn't be reading this article. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> if you're into like classical music, it's not an issue. Yeah, Steve. Well, I was just saying, I was just saying what he was saying. That's all. Whatever. Yeah. All right, let's jump into the Q&A. Um, it was an interesting article in that it switched from, like, sort of, what would you call it? Like, so almost like, like a, a narrative yeah, style to a, narrative. a Q&A type. Um, and I figured what he asked Taylor, we can actually ask our panel. I thought that would make for an interesting discussion because, you know, he talks about how Taylor writes um, and says, does the fact that you write about yourself in a confessional style – require intelligent people to look at your music through the lens of a tabloid perspective. Now, um, you know, I, I recruited the two of you because I think that you're both intelligent. Um, so, Oh, I uh, would hope so. Thank you. That's very yeah, nice. that's, you know, and, uh, I guess where I'm going is I thought it was an interesting question because what we do on this show is look at and analyze Taylor's music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was an interesting question for us to analyze. And I wanted to see what you guys thought. So This is a question I've thought about for years because when Taylor first came out, she pretty much told people like, oh, this song is about this boy, Drew, that I used to like and he was in my math classes. She told us like straight up the entire story. And so I think people were 
used to receiving that kind of um, information from her and used to hearing her songs like through that lens kind of um and then when she stopped doing that when she got more famous and started being with people who were a lot more famous than drew um that sort of dropped off and she stopped telling us so much like i think the last song she put someone's name in was dear john and since then she just there and even that she claims is not necessarily about john mayer she tries to Right, but. and since then she hasn't said anything, so I think people are trying to fill in the gaps and in trying to do that, it ends up making a really good tabloid story, unfortunately. Well, hang on, let's set aside the word tabloid for a sec because okay. I think the author is essentially redefining the word tabloid in this case. He's not talking about... You know, the whole, like, Taylor is engaged and pregnant no, type but, things. No, but the whole, he's, like, the on. gossipy personal life. Stuff. Yeah, he's talking about discussion about her personal life. That's what he's referring to. Not necessarily false discussion, but just discussion in general. So perhaps it might add clarity if I added the additional follow-up questions he had, um, where he was asking, is thinking about your real life an essential part of appreciating your music? Could your music be enjoyed the same way in a vacuum, even if no one knew anything else about you. I, I think so. But I think if you... I mean, at least for me, I, I think people like to know things about who they're listening to because it makes it more relatable. And I like to know things about her life, not because I'm creepy or anything, just because... In a strange way, I like to think of her as a friend, and it's just nice to know things about your friends, and I don't know. Well, hang on. We're still on <laughs> – you and I at least are on different thought patterns okay. here. Um, and Steve, chime in whenever. But I think you and I are on different thought patterns here because where I was going with this in my mind is what he's doing is is basically he's calling her out on the quality of her writing and saying, is your writing that good? Where if people didn't have the, who is this song about to speculate, could they it, still appreciate oh, it? would it still be interesting? That is what he's asking her. He's, he's uh, very subtle, but I think he's calling her out on the quality of her writing. That's sharp and blunt. Yeah, but this, this guy you can tell through his writing, he's, he's a sharp guy himself. So he's a very smart guy. Way to go, Chuck. Okay. Um, so, I, like I said, Steve, chime in if you have any opinions you know, as to whether or not her music is that good that you could appreciate it if it came from an anonymous artist. Ooh, what if, what if, um, Taylor one day pulls a JK Rowling, Robert Galbraith and, uh, writes something under a pseudonym and nobody knows it's her. She should do that. She might be already doing that. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be, uh, that would be interesting. I mean, that, that would be the final proof on that. I mean, I think we do appreciate Taylor's music because we do interpret things our way sometimes, but yet try to figure out her way too. So it's a little bit of both, but really, I mean, some of those lyrics, as we've said in the past, have been almost that you could read them like a poem. You know, it, it doesn't even have to be in the context of music and you would still enjoy it. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going. I mean, my personal opinion, I wanted to see what you guys said first, is... 
you know, in, in regards to that question, is thinking about your real life an essential part of appreciating your music? I think the answer is an absolute 100% no. I don't think you have to know about her to appreciate her music because, I mean, we've spent countless hours, episode after episode after episode, breaking down her lyrics and applying them to our own personal situations. And if you need personal, or sorry, not personal, I got that word on my mind because of what I was just saying, but if you need additional proof of that, the fact that she's as popular as she is is frequently attributed to the fact that she is so relatable. Mm -hmm. So are the lyrics that relatable because we know everything about her? Are the lyrics relatable because those lyrics can apply to anyone else's life? Or not anyone, but a lot of other people's lives. I think the second one. Like, I recently bought two new um, albums by artists I'm not going to name because what I'm going to say isn't super positive. Um, can I name one? No. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty hyped up um, albums right now. And I would say maybe on each of them, I like perhaps maybe three to five songs and the rest of them I just skip because they don't grab me and I feel like the way they're written, they're just like so typical and just so I've heard this song a million times. There's nothing about it that stands out to me. I'm just going to skip it. And these are people whose um, albums right now are being held up as like, this is really good. And I'm just there like, well, good I like and popular three of their are songs. two different things. And it's making money, but it's just nowhere close to Taylor's quality of writing. Yes. Well, like I said, good and popular are two different things. And like I said, coming back to that question, do you have to know about Taylor to appreciate her music? That also verifies the answer is no, because those other artists, you do know about their lives and you don't necessarily appreciate some of their songs. Because but I Taylor's, feel like they don't write them. I'm sure they don't. Yeah. Um, do you know who I'm the, talking about? <laughs> Adam, do you know who I'm talking about? Never um, mind. Never mind. Never, we'll yeah, talk but you said it. I can't say. Yeah, okay, right. okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Adam, I only have one problem with what we've been saying on this so far, though. You know, Go we talk it. about Taylor and everything about being relatable. And the thing is, her answer to the vacuum question is short is very short and it's probably the least relatable song that she's ever put out and she's referring to shake it off so you well, know let's see her answer shake it off is one of my most successful songs and that has nothing directly intricately pointedly personal in it uh no one really says i stay out too late i just thought it sounded good um in that case though steve if you think about what the question is, is looking at her music through the lens of that whole tabloid perspective and knowing about her real life, what makes it as popular and um, what's the word popular and relatable as it is, that actually verifies my my response, though, Okay, in my opinion, because, you know, it doesn't have to do with her directly, as she says, there's nothing directly about her um so therefore it is, I don't know, it, it's still an appreciated song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, maybe it doesn't have anything personal necessarily to do with Taylor, but the thing with, 
that song is we've all been there so it's it's vague enough so that we can all apply it to our lives and it's still good but it doesn't necessarily have to just be about taylor well that's the point and at the core of this question is do you have to know about taylor to appreciate her music and i still say the answer is no you don't um i think her music is particularly well written and i could have a slight bias because (sighs) you know i am a big fan of hers but I still think the same goes for people who aren't necessarily a big fan of hers. I think they can quite often appreciate her music. I mean, how many times have you guys heard somebody say something like, yeah, I'm not really a huge fan of Taylor, but I can appreciate why she's so popular. Mm-hmm. That's true. Comments like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's because despite not knowing much about her, and maybe it's not their personal style or preference, but they can appreciate that the music is that good. The songs are that well written. And I think that speaks worlds about her writing also. Very true. So that's just kind of my take on it. My short answer, like I said, is no, I don't think you need to know about Taylor's personal life to appreciate her music. Mm-hmm. That's very, all I have to say about question, that. Though. We should ask the listeners. Yeah, there's our question of the episode. That's Ooh. a very pointed question. Question of the episode. Do you have to know about Taylor's personal life to fully understand her music and appreciate her music? Go to taylortalk.org slash episode 195 and answer that question in the comments. Again, it is... Do you have to under or do you have to be familiar with Taylor's personal life to interpret and understand and appreciate her music? I think that's a good question. That is a good question. Sweet. We stole it from Mr. Chuck Klosterman. Mr. Klosterman here. Chuck Klosterman. All right. So go answer that question on taylortalk.org slash episode one nine five. Moving further into the article. Um, They give a little additional enlightenment on her decision to switch completely to pop, or at least not necessarily the decision, but the process and the backlash that she got from her record label, which we all knew a little bit about. Apparently, they tried to suggest putting a little bit of fiddle and steel guitar on Shake It Off so they could release it to country radio, and Taylor said, no, let's not. Let's choose a lane. It would have just been a hot mess if she tried to do pop and country at the same time. Well, you can't spread yourselves too thin. No, you can't. Like, in just the online world, and just, you got to think about, like, how everything gets niched down, like, to very specific niches. Like, if we just analyzed music, if we just took songs and analyzed them, I don't think we would have nearly as many listeners of this podcast as we do because it is about Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Or at least we wouldn't have nearly as many consistent listeners week after week because – or episode after episode because we'd be trying to go in too many different directions and our people that are like, oh, I love Taylor Swift, you know, if we did an episode on on someone else's song next week, they'd be like, oh, well, Well, I I don't don't really like that. So I'm not going to listen. Yeah. 
you know, and, and they wouldn't necessarily subscribe. But because we chose a very specific path to go down, we want to speak about and analyze Taylor Swift's career and music. It's very specific. People know exactly what they can expect from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing goes for Taylor with her music. She didn't want to spread herself too thin. If she had gone in too many directions at the same time, they all would have crashed. True. True. Not necessarily crashed and burned because she's so popular. She wouldn't completely fail. Mm -hmm. But I don't think 1989 or Shake It Off would have near the success it did um, had she gone a country route also and had like a country version. Plus, I think country radio is such a like kind of like a small niche of people. And once you're on pop radio, I feel like you have more of an audience because pop is like most people like general pop music i don't think think that's a fair stat actually you don't think so i i think you made that up i don't think that's true (laughs) i I think it's i think it's hard to be in between though because you'll have the pop radio that says oh well taylor's you know she's on a country label she's listed as country she doesn't Uh belong on pop radio so they don't play as much of her music on pop radio yeah and then you know the vice versa where country radio is like "Eh, she's kind of pop where now it's like hey i'm pop I need to be on every pop station, you know, and, and even now I listen to some of the pop radio stations, you know, they have those little bits where they have the artists say, Hey, you're listening to whatever radio station, you know, she's always included in on that stuff now that maybe in the past it was kind of like, yeah, her songs made it on pop radio sometimes, but. Oh, you mean like the, Hey, this is Taylor Swift and you're listening to blah, blah, blah FM. Right. Exactly. So now everything pop radio kind of almost revolves around Taylor to some degree that before when you're split between two different types of music, you don't have that. So it's almost like she was being held back by still being with one foot in country and one foot in pop. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's funny too, because part of the article, which I wasn't planning on discussing, but since it kind of fits in here, um, was a part where, Chuck Klosterman mentioned a former acquaintance of Taylor's referring to her as calculating, and she kind of got offended by it and doesn't like the word calculating. Um, However, I don't think that's a negative term because calculating sounds like you're plotting something bad. It has a negative connotation, maybe, but I don't think it does in this in this particular situation at all because. She's in a business, the music business, um, you know, in the music industry, and she has to make strategic moves based on what is going to be best for her career and best for her fans and things like that. And it's like when you think about it, by toying around with pop songs like I Knew You Were Trouble and We Are Never Getting Back Together and things like that back on Red, she was, in fact, kind of being a bit calculating. She was figuring out, she was gauging her existing audience to see, like, hey, if I make this switch, if I make this crossover, are they going to stick with me and come with me over to pop? And it proved to be true, so she made the full transition. Um, where, I, I don't know how to finish my thought here, but that's kind of where I was going. Was so just she that was about a, it. it was very intentional. It was a calculated, and intentional decision, and there's a reason her label inevitably ended up trusting her, even though they didn't agree with it at first. Because um, if you spread yourselves too thin, um, when you think about it, you know the biggest company in the world, Apple, is essentially a niche company, a niche brand. 
it's a it's a very lifestyle brand. It's a high end, expensive product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they had tried to appeal to everybody and they had, you know, their two thousand dollar Mac Pros and then they had some like three hundred dollar option to compete with like Dell's and HP's Good computers for three hundred dollars. Oh yeah, I don't even know. Um, you know, if they had done that and gone down both of those routes, I think they would be a less dominant force in both realms. But they chose to focus on high-end computers and dominate that one particular area. Well, well Adam, if you um, remember correctly, that's exactly what happened to Apple um, after uh, when Steve Jobs wasn't there. He was originally with the company and actually got fired from his own yeah. company. Yeah. Um, later to the point that Apple started coming up with a couple of products that weren't big hits, kind of started spreading themselves very thin. And then uh, Steve Jobs came back as the interim CEO and ended up killing a lot of Apple products that were going on there. And and there were a lot of people that, you know, either lost their jobs or, you know, had to work on different projects. And a lot of people that were using some of those Apple products that were great, Mm -hmm. but weren't really Mm -hmm. the focus of the company. And he actually helped refocus Apple. And that's when all of a sudden it's like, you know, the iMacs and the iPods and eventually the the iPhones and the whole Apple Watch eventually. Everything that's come out since then has been a very focused product that, you know, when Apple was struggling there in the probably the early 90s, it's because they didn't have the, the, the lack of focus that was going on in Apple there. Well, that's exactly it, and that's exactly the same thing with Taylor. It's like she could have done well in country and pop, but instead she chose one and dominated it. Right. And that's that's the whole point of what she was doing. Steve, do you remember the Apple Newton? Uh, Apple I do. Newton? Yep. The Newton. What's that? It was like the iPad's great, 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 great grandpa mm-hmm. that was not a very it, it was well It was in the early product. days of the PDAs, the personal digital assistants. You know, what a fun name, <laughs> Apple Newton. You know, yeah, they had little functions on that kind of stuff, but but nowhere near. You know, it was a, kind of a little bit too much before its time that, you know, mm-hmm. it would have been a little bit more successful and a little bit better years later. But, yeah, it was just one of those products that they had that, you know, they probably shouldn't have been making at the time. And, you know, it was it was good for Steve just Jobs like- to come back there and Apple would not be what they are today if he did not return to Apple. I no, Apple probably wouldn't exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, they're the biggest company in the world. And likewise, Taylor was very focused, and she is the biggest pop star in the world. So, um, you know, a lot of consistent strategies. It's sometimes hard to think of Taylor as a niche artist or as she even referred to herself as an indie artist. Which is odd. <laughs> But we forget the fact that she is. She's yeah, completely self-managed. And, yes, yeah, she's got a record label, but, I mean... She's just a very, very big one, but she has full control of her career, um, and she clearly knows what she's doing. So, take that record label telling her what to do. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that quote really tied into something that came shortly thereafter, where Taylor said, "Accidents happen, but careers take hard work." And um, accidents happen is referring basically to one-hit wonders, people that. Well, are she said people could be popular for and- like three to four years. Yeah, you can be accidentally successful for three or four years. Accidents happen, but careers take hard work. And I think that's why Taylor has seen the longevity in her career that she has seen. 
Um, I thought that was an important quote for that reason. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about it. I didn't really have a lot to say about it. Just wanted to point it out. I like it. Mm-hmm. You like it? I like yep. it. Okay. Let's keep going then. Um, one of the parts of the article that stood out to me the most personally is when Taylor was talking about how lyrics are the most important part of her art. Mm-hmm. She said, the lyrics are what I want you to focus on. That's what I focus on. That's what I just liked it because it reassures me in what we're doing yeah, here we're on doing the podcast. The right thing. <laughs> she said that for us. Thank you, Taylor. We That's appreciate it, even Taylor though you talk don't to focus on. know what we do. We will continue to focus on the lyrics. Song analysis um, are one of our favorite things to do. That's what the people like. That's it's what, what the people want. The, they want the song analyses. <laughs> Fun fact for everyone out there that is wondering why I'm saying analyses. That's the plural of analysis. Analysi. I just no. made that up. <laughs> <laughs> vocab lessons analyses plural of analysis um but yeah she said the lyrics are what i want you to focus on and i think that's really cool because something i've always found unique about taylor's songs is that they are narratives they tell stories um and i thought that was really cool that that is what she wants us to focus on because that's what she puts her heart and soul into and particularly on this most recent album i think she did far less of the actual music and production type stuff she had max martin and shellback she had jack antonoff doing that she had you know all these other guys coming up with the sounds which left her to really focus in on the lyrics and just the poetry of it and the word art Mm -hmm. which i think is a reason that another reason along the lines of why she was happy to hear that ryan adams was you know taking her songs and changing up the the music because really the lyrics are still the same. It's just his own interpretation. With the exception of changing the gender perspective. Well, but yeah. yeah. But but in general, it's still her core lyrics that are being used there and putting a different perspective on the actual music that goes along with it, which, which I think she was curious to see what other people could do with that. And especially if it's someone that, you know, she greatly respects like Ryan Adams. So that's... That's why that was. Yeah, well, he's telling her stories with a different sound. Yeah. It's very cool. Now, something I found fast. Sorry, were you going to keep going? No, I I was just saying it was all about the lyrics. Just bringing it back around. About the lyrics. About the lyrics. No music. I made Diane laugh at least. Yeah, that's good. That's probably like the I only person. It. Like, uh, there's probably among people listening, there's probably like crickets right now. No, I bet like, you people sh- liked that. Oh, okay. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, (laughs) So something I found very fascinating towards the end was sort of when the author gave us some insight into how Taylor controls her personal narrative, being her personal story. And, you know, Taylor was explaining how with Bad Blood, for example, she doesn't give away who it's about. She simply says that was about losing a friend. Well, she said way more in the um, Rolling Stone article, but I think it was important that she said that it was about losing a friend and she had to clarify because like people do about her songs, they'd be like, which boyfriend was this one about? Well, and that's the that's the point that um, Chuck Klosterman makes is he says, you know, but nobody thinks that song is about a guy. And Taylor says, 
but they would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely right. So it's very interesting because she has such a realistic perspective and sort of a realistic grasp on her public image and understands that she can't control what people say about her, but she can still influence it to an extent and sort of tweak the story to fit what she needs it to fit. What she needs it to fit. Sounds um, calculating. How dare you? Calculating is a terrible word. We don't it's use that word. word here. I know. We don't use that word. We use sonically cohesive, yes. which came up again in this article, by did the way. Did it really? Yes. Oh, it sure did. I must have missed it. I'm no, it's, sonically it was, cohesive it out. Yeah, yeah, it was It was there. She wanted it to be sonically cohesive. Well, so one of her albums, previous albums, wasn't sonically cohesive. She a wants critic to make sure it, so. we know that. Yeah. Sonically cohesive. Bringing it up in every interview. <laughs> walk around with signs and... Sonically cohesive. Uh, But as uh, Chuck Klosterman noted here, in order to abort the possibility of a rumor she did not want, she propagated the existence of a different rumor that offered the added value of making the song more interesting. What a good sentence. Um, It really is. But aside from the fact that it's a well-written sentence, I think (laughs) what it reveals just adds to the fascination of, of what Taylor does. And it, you know, what she did with bad blood so subtly that none of us even picked up on the fact that she was controlling her life's narrative when she was explaining that it was about a friend. None of us knew what she was doing other than, oh, she's just telling us about the song. Um, reminds I, me of I what she did. like she gave too much away to lead us into thinking that it was about Katy Perry, which is potentially correct. Well, that's the most commonly held uh, yeah. belief. Um, but it just was interesting to me because... It reminded me of the story with her belly button uh, with the Heim sisters in uh, Hawaii where they posted pictures of themselves in their bikinis because she didn't want the paparazzi that was photographing them from a distance to make money off of the photo. So she's like, well, I'm going to take control of the situation. Um, And I thought it was really interesting how frequently she does that because like with this bad blood story, you know, she revealed that it was about a lost friend specifically to stop people from starting rumors about which ex-boyfriend is this about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's done a phenomenal job moving away from that Taylor only dates guys to break up with them and write songs uh, misconception. Mm-hmm. Which is a hard misconception to move on from or work on. No, it absolutely is. Um, you know, perhaps a better word is not calculating, but everything she does is strategic. Yeah. How's that, that one? That sounds better. That's better. Strategic. Strategery. That sounds less like an... <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Steve. Taylor's strategery. Strategery. But, but, but what's you good... You totally got me sidetracked. So, sorry, but, but what's good about doing that is she's navigating the rumor a certain way which is good but it's still open to interpretation which is really what adds that value and makes it interesting that's the best part where it's like instead of just saying okay i don't want this particular rumor to happen so i'm going to tell you exactly what this is she's not doing that she's navigating what you're going to have as your rumor it's do you know what it reminds me of? And it's really funny because this will be the second time we're making this comparison. It reminds me of Apple again. Oh, no. Um, and the way Apple is run, the way they have, quote, unquote, leaks before every new iPhone comes out. 
It's like, come on. If they have a prototype locked up in their engineering department, nobody is getting to that if Apple doesn't want them getting to it. True. So there are um, leaks on purpose. But what they do, yeah, they sort of leak on purpose because they know that people are going to be talking about it. And so they're sort of sending it in the right direction to make it more interesting because if it was a completely made-up story with no influence coming from Apple, then the product could be completely off and it could kill the hype building up to the new release of a new iPhone or new whatever That's it is. That's true. Mm-hmm. So in Taylor's case, too, she's controlling it to the extent she can to add the intrigue and the hype surrounding her music. To keep it in the public consciousness. But keep it in the right direction. Keep it focused at least in the right direction, even if it's not 100% accurate. Do other artists do this or just Taylor Swift? Some of them do it, but probably not as well. Let's put it that way. Yeah. How did she figure this out? I think it's natural. (laughs) Um, Either that or she has a mother that was in marketing. That too probably helps. That that part also. (laughs) Um but it's just very, very fascinating to gain that insight into her career and how it runs. And it's funny because, you know, even in analysis as we're talking about it and thinking about it, know it's happening, it's still going to work on us. It always works. It always works. It doesn't matter if you're aware of it or not. I mean, like, even this um, article that we just read from GQ, a lot of it in here, you know, I've heard before, but that didn't mean I didn't want to read it. Like, I I still want to soak up all of Taylor Swift that I can. Right. That's the point. Mm -hmm. She controls her narrative. And and some of the stuff you do have to hear on repeat because it sinks in that way. Um, Now, the article ends with a quote that I think goes back to Diane's comment about how does she do it? Um, The last sentence in the article is Taylor Swift is 25 but she's older than you. She's older than me, though. Well, this appeared <laughs> in GQ, which caters to middle-aged men. Um, Does so, it really? What's that supposed oh, GQ, to mean? It's, it's a sophisticated male magazine. I thought it was just, like, young men. No, no. it's Gentlemen's Quarterly. Yes. Young men are not gentlemen. Right. They're boys. <laughs> so are you and Steve Okay, Gentlemen's Quarterly. Picture in your head James Bond. And that's GQ's target demographic. That's a small target. I'll also note that I do have. I'm not talking about just secret (laughs) agents. I'm talking about just that refined gentleman. Who are they? Um, They don't exist anymore. I know. What are you talking about? I have a subscription to GQ. This is like my. Oh, I guess Steve is a refined gentleman. Steve is a refined gentleman. You don't have a subscription to GQ. I do not. You are not a refined gentleman. We'll get you one for Christmas there, Adam. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Um, anyway, um, I just think that line was such a powerful way to end it. Taylor Swift is 25, but she's older than you because going back to what you said, Diane, you're like, how does she know how to do this? Um, it's because she's far beyond any other 25 year old in certain aspects of her life. She's been doing this longer than she was 25. She's been doing this since she was like 16. Yeah, but it's just interesting because she's doing things that professionals don't ever do and these refined gentlemen with their businesses don't even do um because she's just that clever um but i mean what do you guys think that implies like when you read that when you first read that like what was your interpretation of taylor swift is 25 but she's older than you 
she's had more experience and she's wiser and she just knows what she's doing more than I don't know, she's more mature. See? She just got more together. Yeah. Got more of it together. Not the agree. I don't know. It's just a really cool line. It is. Mm-hmm. Really cool use of the English language there. Yep. Any last thoughts on the GQ article? Yeah, I felt like the title was a little lame. Mm-hmm. Other than that. The, t- the title was just one of those things that it's like, oh, click here. You'll find out about b- bad blood and Kanye West. Well, when here's the article the thing, wasn't though. really about that. Here's the thing with uh, journalistic publications and journalism publications and things of that sort. Um, the headlines and subheads are not written by the author. So Chuck Klosterman did not actually write that. And you can tell in particular by the subhead because the, the headline subhead is awful. Well, the, the he- I think it's kind of funny. Um but the headline is Taylor Swift on Bad Blood, Kanye West, and how people interpret her lyrics, which I thought was interesting because Kanye was such a small point in this article. Um, and I actually, when I this, heard about the uh, the last part there about how people interpret her lyrics, I was like, this is totally what we do. I, I wonder know. if, we, I wonder well, if they talked to us on this. this. article. And, and <laughs> not so much. No, they didn't interview us. They should have, though. It would have been a better Chuck, article. Chuck Klosterman. <laughs> um, but anyway, the subhead. Weren't we told they don't make pop stars this big anymore? Nobody bothered to tell Taylor Swift. Chuck Klosterman interrogates the most popular human interrogates, alive. Interrogates? Really? <laughs> well, it was Did great just, until that point. They just looked up the word questions in the thesaurus and found a word they thought was more powerful that is... Oh, no, no, no. I don't know if he quite interrogated her, but... That's something um, else that shouldn't happen. Until that last sentence, it was very eye-catching, the the nobody bothered to tell Taylor Swift part. But, yeah, it's an interesting choice of word there. Where's our editor? Not Chuck Klosterman, because I don't think he would use that poor word choice. He must have been absent that day. (laughs) Absent. All right, guys, so I hope everybody enjoyed our discussion of the GQ article. It was very insightful, and I think we got a lot of great information about it, about Taylor and her career um, and some of her music and things of that sort. So we will, of course, be linking to the article if you haven't had a chance to read it yet at taylortalk.org slash episode 195. And just as a reminder... At that same link, you can leave down in the comment section the answer to the question, do you have to know about Taylor's personal life to understand and appreciate her music? Want to get your opinions on that? So go visit taylortalk.org slash episode 195. Now, before we say goodbye to you, Diane, what is coming up in Taylor's calendar? Well, on October 27th, the 1989 World Tour comes to Miami, Florida. Bienvenido a Miami. I knew you were going to say that. Party in the city where the heat is on. (laughs) And then on Halloween, October 31st, the 1989 World Tour makes its final U.S. stop in Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. All right. And on that note, guess who's going to be there? Taylor Swift. Everybody. Well, thank (laughs) you, Steve. Taylor Swift. Really? Taylor Swift will be there. Taylor Swift won't because it's Halloween. She's having a body double perform. She's going trick-or-treating as Taylor Swift. I wonder what she's going to be for Halloween. Um, she's going to be Taylor Swift on the 1989 tour. No, watch. She's going to have costumes for every different every different performance. I hope so. That'd be she's cool. She's going to be a Pegacorn and other things. That'd be one way to make that like last U.S. show unique. She's going to be a cat for Halloween. Um, but either way, what I was trying to get at, Steve, 
is that all three Taylor Talk hosts, me, Diane, and Steve, or Diane, Steve, and I, will all be at the Tampa show. So if anybody's going, let us know so we can say hi. Yes. Hi. 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 Hey. Hi. I want hi. my picture with you. Hi. Diane's creeper. Hi. I want my picture with him. She wants secret spy pictures of No, you. I want you to come up to me and tell me that you listen to the show and then we can hang out and we can take a picture to prove to my mother that people actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think a few people do, but we'll see how many of them are in Tampa. So if you are in Tampa, definitely let us know so we can hang out and chat and say hi and all that fun stuff. Now, before we get going, one more announcement and this is an important one so take out your pen and paper because you're gonna need some notes 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 take notes on this so if you guys remember so october 31st in tampa florida is the final 1989 world tour show in the united states in the u.s the next day november 1st 2015 is taylor talks fourth anniversary our first very first episode was published november 1st 2011 so we turned four um in just a week from the time of this recording um that being said we are going to be in tampa florida so we can't really do much about that so the following week on november 7th we will be celebrating with our annual anniversary live episode that will be taylor talk live you guys can tune in Watch us live uh, running a show. We're going to be doing our final analysis of the 1989 World Tour because that's going to be the last show that we all get the opportunity to see as panelists. Um, Last one we'll be at. So we're going to do our final recap. You guys can join in. You will actually be able to participate in the show in real time by tweeting us live and all that stuff. Anyway, the details. Here's the part you want to write down. So November 7th is the date. 3 p.m. Pacific Time or 6 p.m. Eastern Time is the time. The place, youtube.com slash taylortalk13. That's our official YouTube channel, which doesn't get used too often, but it is used for our live episodes. So that way you guys can tune in and watch us live. We really hope that you can show up. Um, again, it's going to be November 7th at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. If you're not in the U.S., try and figure out your local time zone because I can't. I'm not that smart. Oh, you are. You just would Google it. I would Google it. So Google your local time. Hope to see you all there, guys. This has been a great episode, but it's time to say goodbye. 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 So for episode 195 of Taylor Talk, the Taylor Swift podcast, this has been Adam. Diane. And Steve. Saying we'll see you all in two weeks live on our YouTube channel. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. See you guys. Bye-bye. This podcast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift.